All right. Friday, November 20th, Ryan, end of week two of doing the show. Um, yeah, and we, and we got a big interview today. Very big interview. I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I, I think um, I think all of our listeners are going to enjoy this one. Absolutely. Uh, great interview. About a half hour long, so I think everyone will enjoy that. But let's get into uh, the rundown uh, on the first half of before we get to the interview. We're going to go through the college slate key games for this weekend. We've talked about it. It's here. Number three, Ohio State. Versus number nine, Indiana. Ryan, massive game. So it's funny because uh, we, we talked offline about uh, kind of looking at what 2019 was and, and people looking at 2020 saying, this is going to be, you know, my best year yet, all this. And of course, all the craziness happens. Can you imagine looking at somebody in 2019 and telling them, you know, pandemic aside, say, hey, the biggest game of the Big Ten season is going to be Ohio State versus Indiana on November 21st. Nobody would have believed Yeah, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine that at all because Indiana's been down for so long. And for them to have the season that they're having, this is the key game. On, I mean, there's other college football games that are key and big. But this is the biggest of the weekend. If they win this, now I don't know what's going to happen. Ohio State could route them, you know, 42 to 7. I don't know. But what I do know is this is a very good Indiana team, 4-0. Michael Penix Jr., 60% completion percentage. That's not bad. Nine touchdowns, three interceptions. They're a team that loves to run the ball. Uh, They are sixth in the Big Ten in rushing. That's pretty good. Um, and Ohio State had that game canceled last weekend, so I'm not a whole rest versus rust type of guy, but for them to have two weeks to prepare, essentially, for Indiana, that's huge for a team that's most likely probably going to make the playoff or at least be on the outside looking in in Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State, they, they definitely benefit from not having to play last weekend, where Indiana, I mean, again, it's Michigan State, it's not a it's not a big game, but every game is a big game that you play. On paper, looking at this, and I don't think too many people would disagree with this, Ohio State's the better football team. I don't think there's too much argument that looking at it from an, an objective view, Ohio State's the better football team. But there are these crazy games where you look at it and say, oh, well, you know, even though that they're, they're closely touted, they're both undefeated, they're both, they're both tops in the Big Ten, these, this is one of those games where Indiana could come out and they win like a 24-21 game on a last-second field goal and you never see it coming. Um, I think if there was fans, this could make a little bit of a difference being in Columbus, uh, being in the being in Ohio State Stadium, but, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Indiana comes to play. I think Tom Allen's going to have him ready. I said last show, I love Tom Allen. He's, he is a fun electric coach to watch. And he's going to have them ready to play. But most signs point to Ohio State winning this game. I'm actually going to take Ohio State by, I would say, maybe 7 to 10 points. But Indiana is, is going to be there throughout the game. I think Ohio State pulls away late uh, because they're just a, a, a more physical football team and a more experienced football team. But I think Indiana's here to stay. 
Yeah, that's completely fair, uh, especially with Justin Fields being talked about as a first-round QB. Would not be surprised if he has a big day. But if it gets to the fourth quarter and you're looking at the ticker, if you're watching an, another noon kickoff game and you see, okay, Indiana's up 21-17 on Ohio State, you wouldn't be shocked either. This is a team that shocked Penn State. Now, granted, Penn State's home for this season, so we clearly didn't know what – they were going to be going into the season, but this is a team that beat Michigan when Michigan was ranked in the top 25. Once again, we don't really know what they are. Michigan state. That's a good win. Rutgers. Rutgers is what Rutgers is uh, in being a football program in the big 10 existing, but this is the game that we've talked about for our last two shows. I will be looking forward to this matchup on Saturday. But sticking with the Big Ten, Wisconsin versus Northwestern. This is another key game on the slate for Saturday. 3.30 ABC. Wisconsin looks good. I mean, they could easily find themselves in the playoff race over Ohio State if Ohio State finds themselves looking on the outside. I like Northwestern. I like Pat Fitzgerald. He's a very good head coach. He has his team playing well. Northwestern is doing 354 yards per game. That's one of the best in the Big Ten. Patrick Ramsey, though, 720 yards passing. So clearly this is a team that likes to run the ball as well. What's your thoughts on this game, especially with Graham Mertz, the way he's playing? I would give this game almost an identical assessment as the first one. I think if you look at this on paper, you're going to say, okay, Wisconsin's, Wisconsin is clearly the better football team. But this is one of those games that Northwestern is going to stick around and they are going to give them a game. Again, like you mentioned, Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald has a great football team and he always has them ready to play. Uh, and, and maybe even similar to your assessment, if, if you're kind of wrapping up another 330 game and, and you say uh, Northwestern is beating Wisconsin with like seven minutes left and they're up by seven in the fourth quarter, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Northwestern is going to come to play and they have a good team, but I think Graham Mertz is actually going to be the difference um, in the games that I've watched him play the first two that he's played. I think this is a dangerous Wisconsin team. This is a team that's built to run first based on the size of their offensive line. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of their offensive line, but they are big. They are mean. And that's what that team is built around is their front five. So I'm going to favor Wisconsin in this one. I'm probably going to give them about a seven to 10 point advantage too. Uh, another one that I think Northwestern will hang around, but Wisconsin's just going to out-physical them and, and they're going to dominate them into the third and fourth and, and take it away. Yeah, I also think that Northwestern has a lot going on inside the city of Chicago or on the outskirts because of the lockdown, because the way that city is kind of handling everything. Now, we, we, we're not going to get into that really, but there's other things going on outside the program, just in that city where Northwestern is. I just think this is going to be one of the best games on Saturday, probably right behind that Indiana Ohio state game, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, moving the, right along. The big Ten's getting all the love on, on Saturday. That's the, the two yeah, games. I have front, yeah. <laughs> really the only other key game this weekend that stuck out uh, to me was Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. Uh, Bedlam, Oklahoma lost two in a row. We know that things didn't look good for them. 
But once they won the Red River, they won three after that. They're on a four-game win streak. Chubba Hubert, 581 rush yards, five touchdowns this season. Spencer Rattler, though, for a freshman quarterback, he's actually bounced back since those two losses. Right now, he has 2,018 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. What's your thoughts uh, what's going to happen in Bedlam on Saturday? Well, those first few games that Spencer Rattler played, he looked a little rough. He looked a little shaky. And, and I think it's one of those cases, um, and we alluded to it before, where you're not bringing in a guy that sat behind people and been able to continually watch or, or has experience at a different college. So maybe you expect that. This is going to be this is going to be a tight game. I think this is going to be a high scoring game. It's going to be one of those good fun Big Twelve matchups to watch in that regard. Um, man, Chuba Chuba Hubert, man Hubbard. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but that he is a he is a load to bring down. Uh, watching him against West Virginia earlier this year, that kid's tough. He's he's a monster. I think Oklahoma's back to their winning ways. I, I think they're back on a good streak. Um, Oklahoma always seems to come out on top in this game somehow, but you know, we, not we, as in you and I, but, uh, folks seem to celebrate whenever a top dog gets knocked off like Oklahoma. I hate to keep rolling with the big dogs, but I think Oklahoma is going to take this one. I think they have a lot to play for. Uh, they don't want to lose out in the big 12. They want to be there for the, um, regular season crown whenever it gets to the end of the season. I think they're going to take down Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State's going to be with them in the shootout. Uh, but maybe, again, a, a third similar analysis, Oklahoma will pull away late. It's interesting also because when you look at Oklahoma, they had Baker Mayfield, right, number one pick, Heisman. Kyler Murray, number one pick, Heisman, right? Then they go to Jalen Mertz, another established QB, won 26 games, two losses at Alabama, took them to the playoffs last year. Then you get a freshman, you lose two games pretty much right out the gate, and now you're on a four-game win streak. So Spencer Rattler is finding his groove at the right time of the season during this conference-only schedule when it really matters, when it really matters. But it's always a fun rivalry. It's one of those games you find yourself watching and you don't, you know, really want either team to win because you don't, you know, they're not your team but you just find yourself enjoying the game. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Well, and, and to, to further that, just briefly with Spencer Rattler, I mean, yeah, he's coming in and making his first starts, but we're not going to act like this kid isn't a five-star recruit in the Elite 11 MVP. I mean, he's he has, he has the name behind him. Uh, it, it's just that maybe whenever you get in and, and play your first college games and the nerves kind of get to you, I mean, he didn't look good those first couple games, but – there's a reason that, that he is a five-star recruit and is an Elite 11 MVP. So he's only going to get better and, and probably still be mentioned in that Oklahoma quarterback lineage here in a couple seasons. For sure. But, Ryan, we mentioned it at the top of the episode. We have Seth Greenberg, basically a college basketball uh, preview show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a, I love college basketball. And some of that comes from being a, being a mountaineer by, uh, by degree and by heart, but I love college basketball. It's fun. It's intense. It's, it's, it's one of the best times of the year. Uh, it's, it's a great thing to watch. Uh, but speaking of basketball, just real quick, um, for those who don't know, we're on TikTok and, and the NBA draft was a couple nights ago and uh, 
Brian, you were getting a little bit of heat from some uh, other fans there on the in the Knicks for your take on Obi Toppin. Do you, you want to address that? And yeah, I might as well before we get to the interview, right? Because <clears throat> I'm a Knicks fan. Okay, I'll just put it out there. Um, last year, I missed nine games out of 82. Okay, or however many they played before they cut the season short, whatever it was. Um, they suck. I find myself watching them typically on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays when NBA action is really prevalent and seeing them down by 19, 20 points in the third or fourth quarter. The reason I'm skeptical is I understand it's a great story. He's from New York. He went to the garden actually after he got drafted 10 minutes later, he's standing in front of the garden where there is a sign at MSG welcome to New York OB Tottenham and he's having the Knicks hat. That's all great. He led Dayton to a great season last year. He was AP player of the year. But when you look at the history of the New York Knicks, James Dolan's the owner. Okay. He traded Christoph Porzingis, a complete nobody. And I remember watching the draft and I threw my hands up. I was like, who's Christoph Porzingis from Latvia? And we got this guy and he turns into a sensation, right? He's shooting threes. He's scoring in the post. But fast forward two or three years, what happens? James Dolan gives away our best asset down to Dallas for essentially nothing uh, picks and Tim Hardaway. It was cool to have Tim Hardaway back in a Knicks uniform, but that's not going to help us get back to the playoffs like at a six or seven, eight seed. I just I understand I'm getting slack for it. I don't think even if he turns into a good player, the skeptic in me tells me that we're going to get rid of him for some assets because that's what James Dolan does. That's why Kevin Durant and Kyrie didn't come to the Knicks. It's because of James Dolan. It's because of he the way he runs the team. I wouldn't be surprised if we're the worst team in the league. I mean, last year we had third pick in the draft, RJ Bear, one of the best players in the country on that Zion team. He didn't do anything. He was one of the worst players in the league. Yeah, I know I kind of call you out on that, but but I think I think your assessment more, you know, as the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I don't think Ryan is, I don't think you're looking at it from a, I don't want Obi Toppin standpoint because Obi Toppin's an AP player of the year. He's a great player. Maybe even shouldn't have fell to where he did in the draft. But I think on your end, you're looking at it more from an organizational perspective where you're saying he could come in and do great, but we're still going to get rid of him. It's not going to matter how good he plays. He may not even be a Nick in five years. He could be the MVP of the league, and we're going to try to find an asset for him because we're trying to rebuild again. So I think I, I'm, I'm going to defend you. I, I think of it more as an organizational standpoint than maybe an Obi Toppin standpoint. I mean, I, I think he's going to come in and be great. Hopefully now when once they can kind of get the uh, R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin thing going, a little bit of um, college electricity. But, man, the Knicks are – they're not good. I think it's we're, going to be them and them and the Thunder fighting for the last spot. We're a dumpster fire. And I guess the last thing I have to say about the Knicks is when Melo was on the team, I, I was always like the guy who was like, man, I don't know if Melo should still be playing basketball because he doesn't pass. He rebounds. He scores. That's great. But, you know, we're losing 50, 40 games a season, not coming close to sniffing even an eight seed. We let him go, you know, trade him. KP traded. Tim Hardaway, who we did get in that deal, let go. 
I mean, DeAndre Jordan was on the team for basically a cup of coffee. He didn't want to stay in New York because of the Knicks franchise. What did he do? He went across the Brooklyn Bridge. He's going to be playing with KD and Kyrie, and they're going to probably find themselves at least in the Eastern semis next year. So it's just, I don't understand. And you got James Dolan kicking out the most famous fan in NBA basketball period in Spike Lee and telling him he can't use a certain entrance that he's been using for 30 plus years. I mean, it's just, I don't understand. They're a dumpster fire. We're going to be the worst team in the league. It is what it is. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the, in the coming months too. Yeah. Yeah. But now let's get to our interview, Ryan. Everyone's going to like this. It, it's a good, it's a good one. And uh, for any WVU fans out there, he does talk about Bob Huggins uh, a couple times in this interview, especially uh, gives him really high praise uh, talking about being in the hall of fame. So um, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Now our interview with Seth Greenberg. All right. We now welcome on ESPN college basketball analyst, uh, one of the hosts of college game day. Uh, co-host of the Courtside Podcast with Greenberg and Dockich, uh, and in a very accomplished college basketball head coach as well, Mr. Seth Greenberg. Seth, thank you for joining us here um, and, and coming on the Two Ryan Sports Show. If you, one Ryan is not enough. You got to have two. <laughs> There's too many people named Ryan in this generation, so eventually we got to all link up and do something. So that's exactly. that's usually how it goes. Exactly. All right. So. Um, Seth, first thing, first thing we're looking at here is is a little bit of news uh, coming out now um, about the Ivy League, and and we know what the implications of the Ivy League were uh, back in March, whenever that canceled what ended up being the entire tournament. So, uh, hopefully, it's a little bit better this time around. But where do you see this going as far as its impact on on the entire season? Uh, the Ivy League has their own agenda. And the Ivy League doesn't need athletics. Uh, the Ivy League's uh, budgets are an impact effect of anything. Budgets are impacted in a negative way uh, through athletics. If you think about it, like Ivy League football loses $2 million a year for each school. Ivy League's endowments are made not off athletics. Their endowments are made obviously off academic excellence. So uh, it was something that, you know, you've got to understand that if you're not going to play basketball or you're going to play basketball, you, you have to play every other winter sport. And they just didn't think the risk and reward was worth it. And, uh, you know, it's a moment in time. These are, look, these are uncommon times. And they're going to be roadblocks and detours. We're going to have things that happen that were just, you know, are uncommon. This is going to be one of those things. And, uh, you know, I just think I feel for those players. Uh, I feel for, you know, say a senior. Now, you got to understand, if he stayed enrolled in school, that senior can now turn around, transfer next year, be eligible immediately and compete. And you've seen so many Ivy league players, quite honestly, now, you know, literal through you know, high division one uh, who graduate early, maybe get hurt, red shirt. You can't red shirt in the Ivy league and then play their senior year somewhere. Uh, so you've seen that happen more and more. Mike Smith, the kid who's going to, you know, could, you know, be a big factor for Michigan, right? Their point guard, he averaged 22 points a game at Columbia, you know, he, he, he did exactly that. So, um, uh, you know, it's something that's unfortunate, but I don't think it's going to impact the landscape of college basketball more than it's been impacted this year through the pandemic. Sure. That's great to hear. <laughs> Seth, uh, as uh, schedules are getting released and, uh, you know, they're mostly just conference schedules, you know, we do have a couple tournaments uh, going on Thanksgiving week uh, like we normally would, um, you know, not not big matchups. 
but the AP top 25, uh, how much should we put, you know, focus on that? Because it's going to change, you know, constantly the whole season. Yeah, it's going to change probably more than it changes in a normal season. And, you know, these are just expectations uh, on players coming in or players returning. But this year is going to be different. Veteran teams are going to have an advantage early in the season. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there are going to be teams that are going to have losses because we do have some great games early in the season. I mean, you know, we've got Villanova and Virginia. we got Florida and Virginia. You know, we've got uh, Michigan State, Notre Dame. I mean, you go, you know, Gonzaga's playing about Baylor and uh, playing about everyone. Baylor's non-conference schedule, if they're able to execute it, is incredible. Uh, we're still playing the Champions Classic. Uh, so, you know, to me, I never put a lot into preseason predictions this year. I put even less into it because we've just got to have agility. We've just got to have versatility. We've just got to get through this season. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, look, game is going to be canceled for contact tracing. Game is going to be canceled because someone catches the virus. Uh, game is going to be rescheduled. Uh, the non-conference games, uh, probably few of them are going to be rescheduled. But we're going to have things happen. Here's the key. The teams that are going to be there at the end, their head coaches are going to deal with uh, basically the uncertainty of the season. They're going to deal with contact tracing. They're going to deal with someone getting a virus, going to deal with game getting canceled. They're going to deal with being out of sight and then getting a game canceled. Uh, they're going to be dealing with limited exposure to their team at times. The teams that handle that and the head coaches that handle that in a manner where that the players understand this is just part of the process in this unusual times, the coach that doesn't panic, that doesn't overreact, that team is going to take on his personality. The coach that overreacts, all right, and things like the sky is falling every time they have to reset, those teams are also going to take on the coach's personality. So I think the key to, to, to all this moving forward is leadership. And the, the, the programs that have the calmest, most focused leadership will be the teams that navigate the pandemic and everything the season is going to have to offer and the challenges it's going to have to offer. Sure. And, and I, I find it interesting that you say that about kind of the leadership of the coaches, because I think we'll find that a lot of coaches that are more established are, are going to have their teams kind of fall back onto them um, and, and kind of take their lead as, as the season goes through. Yeah, I think, I think, look, all good coaches, but even old coaches, young coaches, established coaches, it really comes down to, you know, when you're a head basketball coach, and I was for 22 years, all right, uh, you know, you're going to win the games you're supposed to win, but you're going to win the games you need to win if those guys believe in you and buy into you and, and are standing beside you and in it with you. And the pandemic makes you have to stand together even closer. But you cannot, cannot overreact to anything that's going to happen in this season because there's no cliff notes to this thing. You know, there's no, uh, you know, we can't look back and say, well, you know, you know, I, last time this happened, you know, this worked, this didn't work. No, you know, this is, we're in unprecedented times. And I think the most important thing is the leadership of the head coach and the consistency. I call it the outback approach. You know, like, you know, you guys have outback steakhouses where you guys have, right? Oh, absolutely. Go to out, out, outback, you get a steak, you get a blooming onion. It tastes great going down. And about two hours later, it takes, you know, you get rid of the thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it's consistency. And, and coaches are going to need to be consistent. They cannot overreact to anything that's going to happen during the course of the season. Most times you always have to worry about, you know, you can't overreact to one bad loss, right? You got to get to the next play. Now you can't overreact to anything that's out of your control. 
And let's face it, the pandemic runs us. We don't run the pandemic. And so like, here's the deal. It is what it is. We all want to well, you know, make sure that our, our players are in the best possible position and have their, their well-being at heart. Now, here's the hardest thing that the coaches are going through. Every time you have a contact trace and you shut down for 14 days or 10 days, depending on what your league is, those players are put in isolation. The mental health aspect of that is exhausting. It's, it's, it's a, a real concern because, like I, was, I talked to Tom Izzo the other day, you know, right now he, he got, caught the virus. He's in isolation or he's downstairs at his house. He's got a full kitchen, got 18,000 televisions. His practice is being streamed right into his, his downstairs. His, his family is upstairs. His players catch the virus, have a contact where they have to be in isolation. You know, they're in basically an apartment room. That's it. They're basically being suffocated for 14 days where food's being delivered to the front, their front door. So, I mean, it really is uh, the mental health aspect of the pandemic is as important as anything. And then the other thing is, like I talked to Danny early the other day, they're going to have a really good team. They're in the middle of being quarantined as a group. They got 14 days. When they get out of that, they play a game five days later. So like Danny's trying to figure out, all right, we want to practice. We need to practice. We got to practice hard. But your guys haven't done anything in 14 days. What about injuries? So these things are, have to be taken into consideration. And then you get the officials. Like these officials usually work six, five, six days a week. They're getting on one plane, going to one league, to the next league, to the next league. Right now, what do you do with the officials? Right, they can't travel together. Right, That's out. They actually have to arrive to games dressed. If they're going to have their, their pregame meetings are on Zoom. Uh, and if someone gets the virus, all right, that whole crew, because the contact tracing is out. So look, we're, we're dealing with things that we, we've never dealt with before. And we've got to just have agility to deal with it, but we've got to have great leadership. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I think your point's well taken there. Um, so, so looking at one of the, uh, we have a couple conferences here that we want to look at that, that are always stand out. Um, and, and the one, obviously, we told you we're both from West Virginia. Uh, so we're looking at the Big 12. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, the Big 12 is always one of the toughest conferences. It's, it truly is a gauntlet to get through. Uh, something like this in, in, in this year where we have Baylor with Jared Butler coming back into his senior season. Uh, Kansas clearly always tough. Uh, and, then, and then a team like WVU with, with Oscar Shibway and Derek Culver coming back, but a very established <coughs> coach than Coach Huggins. Um, you know, what's kind of the lookout for the Big 12? Uh, and, and I also want to ask you, too, as, as a WVU fan, can, can I have a little bit of hope going into what might be tournament time this year? I think you have a terrific night. We had hugs on our podcast uh, this week, uh, the world's greatest podcast with Greenberg and Dockage, known as Courtside. And uh, Hugs and I have been friends for 30, 40 years. I mean, we're, we're dear friends. And I have so much respect for him. He's the best. Uh, look, you know you're going to read about 40% of your misses. The problem is you miss too much. <laughs> All right, you can't turn it over because you're going to turn people over, but you can't turn it over. He is really excited about the guard play. He's excited. He really feels that they're going to make shots. I have a or Culver are absolutely you know, terrific. It's really going to come down to the guard play. I mean, you know, you know, they got to make shots and got to take care of the basketball. It's that simple. But they're in one of those teams. I think there are four or five teams in the, in in the Big Twelve that can get as far as the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and West Virginia is one of those. And Hugs usually doesn't, I guess, oversell 
his teams. Uh, you know, he, he thinks the kid Taz Sherman is going to shoot the hell out of the ball this year. He thinks he's shooting the ball well. He thinks that McCabe McNeil are going to be better. So, I mean, he, he's optimistic, but Texas Tech's going to be better. You know, I mean, you know, they got the Santos kid, uh, you know, from VCU can really rebound it. Uh, they have a terrific freshman that people aren't even talking about, Michael Peavy, who's going to be really good. They got Matt McClellan, who transferred from Georgetown, who I actually, I, I have some concerns about him in terms of him buying in. The Terrence Shannon kid is explosive and hard playing. They got Kyle Edwards back. They've got a good culture. Baylor's got a terrific backcourt. A uh, terrific backcourt and great depth in their backcourt. It's Macy Oteague. It's, you know, it, it, it's Butler. Uh, they have frontcourt players. Mark Vidal is a terrific defender. They're playing more man-to-man in that matchup zone. Kansas, Marcus Garrett is a great leader and one of the best defenders in the country. Who, who replaces Donson? They're different without Udoka because Udoka changes everything you do defensively in terms of your game plan. But they're still going to be very, very good. I mean, you know, uh, Abaji's a terrific player. David McCormick as a junior is going to be very good. The league is, you're right, it is a gauntlet. Texas is going to be better. They get the Greg Brown kid, the freshman, who's a, just a relentless rebounder. Their guard plays finally got to show up. Andrew Jones and uh, Courtney Ramey and, and Matt Coleman, we've been waiting for them. But they have not had a uh, upper-level Big 12 backcourt. If those guards don't play well, they're not winning in this conference. So the conference is, is terrific. Uh, the travel in the conference for you guys is brutal. Now, Hugs told me they're going to make two-game swings. So, you know, when they go and they're going to go on the road for multiple games, which will, in a lot of ways, will help. Uh, a, a great deal you know Kansas isn't going to have that home court that they've always had you know they're going to you know so I mean that's the best home court pay probably in the league and, I, and again I know you guys have a great home court but the fog is something different so I, I just think top to bottom the league is is absolutely brutal uh, when I coach the ACC you know you can't get caught up in one game you gotta you gotta you know you gotta have a next play next game mentality in that conference Seth, that's a good point that you bring up the ACC because that's where we're going to transition to next. Uh, give me your thoughts on Duke UNC. You have Jalen Johnson, um, you know, coming in for Duke. Uh, he's going to be a key contributor for this team this season. And then you have UNC coming off a 14-19 season. Very, very rare. Uh, you have Caleb Love returning, though, in that backcourt. And then – Starting. He'll be a freshman there. Caleb that's Love. right. That's right. They'll, they'll have that third consecutive one and done point guard. Um, but, I mean, give me your thoughts on those two teams. And then also uh, the Big Ten. Is Luke Garza uh, in Iowa and Wisconsin, are those the four best teams, you know, that we might be seeing in the Final Four, possibly in March or in the Elite Eight at least? Well, first of all, you didn't talk about the best team in the ACC. That's Virginia. All right, Virginia won 11 of their last 12. Uh, Virginia, they lost the Akite and they lost Braxton Key, but – uh, Kihei Clark is back. He's going to be better. They get Sam Hauser to transfer from Marquette, who's a terrific player. Uh, you know, we know they're an elite defensive team. They've got to shoot it better. They didn't shoot it great, although they did at the end of the season. And they got to take good care of the basketball. They turned it over, especially for a low possession team. Duke is Duke. I mean, look, the Roche kid's going to have to take over for Trey Jones. Who, you know, do they have a leader? Because Trey Jones has been their leader. So, they, you know, they're going to miss his leadership. Now, Jalen Johnson is a very, very good player. So he's a big, rangy wing that can score it. Uh, Stewards can really, really shoot it. Uh, the two things they got to replace, Vernon Carey, they played through the post last year. They're going to go back to, obviously, four out, more four out. Uh, 
Matthew Hurt's got to take his game to another level and be more consistent. He's going to have a different role. There's no doubt about it. Roche and, and Johnson got to, they, those, those guys have got to be good. And then one or more has got to be good. But uh, I think they'll be good. I don't think they'll be great. I think they'll be top 15 good. I don't see them in the same stratosphere as maybe they, they have been. Uh, I think North Carolina, on the other hand, with everything that went on last year with North Carolina, they were a dominant rebounding team. You know, they were one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They have Baycott back. You know, they have obviously Garrison Brooks back. They get the Kessler kid, who's a terrific, terrific front court player. They get Sharp, who's a terrific front court player. Now they got to get guard play. So Caleb Love's got to be good. I mean, I mean he's got to make good decisions. He's got to push the tempo. Uh, he's got to get him into their secondary offense. He's got to, you know, he's got to be a ball mover. Who else is going to make shots? Now, the Harris kid who got redshirt last year because he hurt his knee, he is not back yet, which is a concern. Leaky Black, who's a big rangy wing guy that has a floor game and can defend, he's got to make some shots. So I think Carolina will get back to who they are. Uh, you know, I think they'll be good. But we don't mention Florida State either. Like Florida State, we forget back-to-back -back years, they're going to have two guys drafted in the first round. Scotty Barnes is a freshman for them, 6'9 point forward. It's Absolutely terrific. MJ Walker is going to be better this year. They're an elite defensive team. They're an elite offensive rebounding team. Uh, they returned six guys to play double figure minutes. So, I mean, Florida State's going to be in that conversation, no doubt about it. And I'll give you a sleeper in the ACC, and that's going to be NC State. NC State gets Thunderbird back. They lose Markel Johnson, which is a big loss. They've got two guards that they think can help elevate in that, in that area. But uh, you know, they lose Bryce and they lose Markel Johnson, which are big losses. But I still think they get the Daniels kid back. Uh, I think that their style play still is difficult. I think Kevin Keats does a really good job. And Manny Bates and uh, Jericho Helms, both of those guys as sophomores, Bates protecting the rim and maybe screwing around the basket a little more. And Helms being a little bit more consistent offensively, I think he'll be really, really good for them. And uh, you want me to answer the Big Ten stuff? The Big Ten, look. They, they returned five starters, and they returned the Bohannon kid. Remember, Bohannon didn't play last year. He went out. That's a big shot, Bohannon. I mean, that dude made a lot of big shots, and their depth's ridiculous. Luca Garza, as I call him Garzilla, uh, plays as hard as any player in America. I mean, he never takes a playoff. Uh, they've got tremendous depth across their board. They can go nine deep. Here's the deal. They're final four good if they guard. I mean, like they were 12th in the big – uh, the Big Ten, the defense efficiency. Can't do that. Got to get some stops. And they got to do a better job rebounding on the defensive end. Wisconsin returns all five guys that started their last day games. They were 8-0 in their last day games. They got a piece of the Big Ten championship. Their front court, Nate Reavers and Michael Porter, are really tough to deal with because they're both 6-10 guys that can pass and shoot it and make plays. Their backcourt, Trice and Davison, are really tough. Uh, they, as a team, they shot 41% from the three-point line in their last eight games. So those two teams are, are really good. But, you know, you can't count out Michigan State. You know, they got to figure out how they're going to replace Cassius Winston. I understand that. How they're going to replace Xavier Tillman's uh, presence in terms of his great passer, uh, finished around the basket, very good defender. But they still have Aaron Henry back, who's a very good player. They're going to get Josh Langford back, who has missed the last two years, who I think is one – one of my favorite players in college basketball is what incredible, incredible uh, human being. He's just, you know, so they've got Aaron Henry back and Rocket Watts. 
Uh, Malik Hall had a very good freshman season. Uh, Maddie Sissoko is a, a freshman front court guy that, that Tom really likes. So, you know, look, they, they assist on 65% of their possessions. They kill you in their transition game. They're in the top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency. Michigan State's going to be in the conversation for the Big Ten. And then you got Illinois. You got to remember, they had the best recruiting year in the spring because they get the Sumo back and they get Coburn back. So they get those two guys back, which are, you know, those are two big time players. Uh, they're a monster rebounding team. They're another team that's got to make, make some shots. I think the freshman Adam Miller will help that a little bit. I think they got Trent Frazier back, who's a, a, a big wing who can make plays. They changed their defensive system from denying everything and playing kind of like what you guys play, keeping the ball on the side and pushing it down to play more pack line. But Illinois is very, very good. So uh, the Big Ten, I think I think they got four or five teams that can get to the Final Four, as, as does the Big 12. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun year because you know just just as we mentioned, looking through the top twenty-five, that's that's a, a bulk of the teams in those conferences. Um, I want to switch it up though. I want to kind of lighten it up a little bit from a preview, uh, just to a question for you. So I, I know you've been on the College Game Day staff for a few years now. Um, what is what is your favorite city that you've traveled to? Now you know we're West Virginia guys. No one's going to come after you if you our, don't say Morgantown. Our, our, our open our open at West Virginia was the best open we ever had. Oh, there we go. So we, there you go. You've made a lot of West Virginia fans here. <laughs> well, it's true. It was the best open we've ever had. Uh, not even close. And it was fun shooting it. Uh, you know, not nothing about our voices, but like looking back at that and walking into the arena with everyone arm in arm, um, it was uh, it was powerful. I mean, it really, really was. And uh, that you know, again, you guys lost a tough game, but that was a tremendous environment and what you guys don't know is the night before that was coach Huggins fundraiser for his mom's uh, uh, cancer charity and uh, we spent the part of the evening with Huggins the night before as did Cal who went to the I mean they had that fish fry out there and uh, incredible turnout for that by the way and uh, Huggins is just you know Huggins is the best I actually I actually liked Huggins with the long hair and the beard and I, I, thought, I thought it was a good look. I mean, because let's face it, like I told him, he said he's not winning any, any contests these days. So if he can go incognito, it's a good look. Hey, here's the thing. It, it looks West Virginia. It has a little bit of that rugged feel to it. And, and I would argue that if anybody embodies West Virginia spirit more than anybody, it, it might be Coach Huggins. Huggins is the best. He's the best. You know, it's the funny thing is people, people you know, obviously you guys probably know because you're fans. He, he, first and foremost, he's brilliant. He's one of the smartest people uh, that I know. I mean, uh, you know, he graduated with honors at, at West Virginia, got his master's degree there while he was still playing. You know, he coaches his ass off and he, there's no B, you know, no bullshit to him, but he's as soft-spoken a dude as you'll ever be around. Like, come on, like hug, speak up. Come on. Like, like we got to hear you, dude. I mean, like act like, you know, one of your guys missed a block out or took a bad shot or turned it over. But he, he is, uh, He's really good, and he's really good for our game. And I'll say to your people, I, I said it on our podcast this week, it is a travesty he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Thank you. And, you know, he he deserves to be in that thing. He's earned it. Uh, and, again, again, greatest misconceptions when it comes to coaches, he loves his players. He cares about his players. He's had opportunities when he was a younger coach to coach the Lakers, turned it down 
to, or the Heat, I should say. He turned it down because, you know what, he didn't want to leave his guys. Uh, he's He got in coaching for all the right reasons. He stayed in coaching for all the right reasons. Seth, uh, before we let you go here, and uh, you've been very grateful with your time, and we, uh, you know, seriously uh, thank you for this. Uh, My pleasure. You know, it, it's a season preview show, and, uh, you know, the cliche question, um, give us, a, you know, either a Final Four prediction or, you know, give us a sleeper team to look out in a, in a specific conference uh, as we uh, approach the season. You know, Tennessee, I don't think they're a sleeper team, but I think ten- Tennessee has a chance to be pretty good. East Ponds is a, a terrific defender, can defend anyone on the floor. John Fulkerson's back. They have Jose James, who should be better th- at this year. They've got two freshman guards that are, pr- are pretty good. Um, I'd say a sleeper team. Uh, well, I'll go real sleeper. I think Richmond could be a, a, a Sweet 16 team in the, in the uh, A-10. Uh, they, returned, they did return five starters back, but obviously – they had one injury. Uh, I think the Shrine kid blew out his knee. But uh, they're extremely well coached. They shoot the ball. They pass the ball. They got three of those guys are fifth-year seniors. They could be. They could be really, really good. I like I said. I thought NC State is a team that has a chance. Uh, Arizona State. You guys don't probably know much about the Pac-12, but Arizona State with Josh Christopher and and Remy Martin. One's a freshman. One's a, a senior. Uh, they, they have a chance to be good. UCLA could be back with Mick Cronin. Uh, he returns five starters, which I think will be uh, really interesting for their team. Oregon is going to be very good. They just kind of retooled. They had this kid in Mario Hardy transfer uh, from uh, UNLV. Obviously, Will Richardson is a very, good, uh, very, very good player. Uh, they have Duarte kid who can really, really score it. Uh, Oregon out the West Coast is going to be really, really good. Um, I'm just going through my I got my 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 notebook here of uh, of teams, uh, so I'll try to give you a couple more uh, sleepers up. In the Big East, I think the Big East is really deep. Uh, I think the Big East is deep. I mean, we, we all know about Villanova. We know that Creighton is going to be good. I think Providence in the Big East is a little bit of a sleeper. Right now, they have a core three guys back. A.J. Reeves, David Duke's going to be an NBA guard. The kid Watson, the front court guy, that's, that's really good. Um, and then my final sleeper would be UConn. UConn's Sweet 16 good. James Booknight is absolutely terrific. If Cook a Cook comes back, Danny's got him defending. They're extremely unselfish. R.J. Cole's a transfer from, uh, from Howard, the last player that played for his dad's last team at St. Anthony's after about 21 points a game in Howard, but he's more kind of a ball guard. Uh, Tyler Polly's coming back. He was hurt. He can really shoot the ball and stretch the defense. They've got a kid named Andre Jackson, a freshman uh, wing player that's really, really athletic. They've got legitimate depth and talent, and they've gotten a taste of winning. And when you get a taste of winning, I think that uh, behooves you. And then probably uh, Memphis is better than people think. Landers Nolly, the kid that was a Virginia Tech transfer there, Gives him another wing scorer. I think DJ Jeffries, if he can stay healthy, he'll be good. They got the freshman big kid, Say They got to get better shot selection and better point guard play, but they're going to be pretty good as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing all these teams down, as you say it. So whenever I fill my bracket out in March, I can <laughs> Seth, Seth Greenberg told me Richmond in, in the 12 seed, they look good. So yeah, they're, 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 they're a good team. They're, they're a very good team. Loyal Chicago is going to be pretty good also. Uh, in the Valley. Uh, they got to come to Crutwood King, who was a freshman. Uh, they, they returned five starters, but Crutwood was a freshman the year they went to the Final Four. He's finally a senior. 
And he's a really, really hard, he's a hard matchup. Yeah, that, that's good. And like I said, now we have some sleeper teams to, to hang our hat on and we'll, uh, we'll monitor them throughout the season. But uh, St. Louis also, don't sleep on St. Louis. They got two wing guys, Goodwin and French, that absolutely rebound the hell out of the ball. Even better. Now, now I can now I can um, really impress with that and just tell people that well, St. Louis, they're they're going to be good. You just got to believe me here. <laughs> so uh, yeah, me. they will be. <laughs> uh, we, hey, Seth, we we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. Um, you know, before we let you go, um, really more than anything, I hope that you, all of your colleagues, friends, family, loved ones, everyone continues to stay safe. Uh, we know it's a crazy time out there, so. Hope everyone's well. Again, hope everyone stays safe. And, and again, thank you so much for joining us here um, on the Two Ryan Sports Show. If you can't have one, Ryan, you better have two. Put on your damn mask. Practice social distancing. Tell the people of West Virginia, let's have just a little bit of discipline. Our country has no discipline. If we have a little bit of discipline, we're going to get through this thing. We're going to look back on it, and I'll leave you with this. We're going to look back on it. We're not going to say we're better off for what we went through. What we're going to say is now we can appreciate what we had. We appreciate going to dinner. We appreciate going to the movies. We appreciate sitting and spending time with family and friends. We'll appreciate Thanksgiving, even though you usually argue the whole time with your family a little bit more. I think what's what, with this pandemic, it's going to give us an appreciation for things that we took for granted. And it's almost like, it's almost like you know, a self-check of, there's a lot of things in this country that we take for granted that other people don't have. There's a lot of things in this country that for all of us that, that the way we live our lives, we take for granted. Hopefully we can come together as a country and we also can come together and understand that, you know what? We can't take things for granted. We're very fortunate for a lot of things that, have, that we have and, and appreciate it that much more. Yeah, I couldn't have uh, said it uh, better myself, Seth. Uh, so thank you again. And uh, hopefully Thanks, we'll talk guys. to you on the road. Be safe, guys. Yep. Well, Ryan, I thought people would like that interview, and it, you know, they'll hear it for themselves. I guess we'll find out. It gets better every time I hear it, and and you know, my biggest takeaway from it, and we talk about it, is is put Bob Huggins in the Hall of Fame. As as good as everything else is, and as as much as we have a have a preview now and an outlook on college basketball, just get Hugs in the Hall of Fame. That's all we want. It was also good as a WVU basketball fan to hear him talk about the best atmosphere he's been in for a college game day was in Morgantown mm -hmm. and the best open he's ever had was in Morgantown. So that was pretty awesome to hear. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But moving along with our weekend preview, NFL, let's, let's dive right into it. Key games of the weekend. Eagles versus Cleveland. I throw my hands up because here we find ourselves again. NFC East leader Philadelphia going against the playoff contender trying to make the playoffs in Cleveland. Look, I rambled about it on Tuesday's show. I don't understand. Wins 12 touchdowns, 12 picks. Look, I don't, I'm in the minority. I don't think he should be benched for Jalen Hurts. But what I do think is <laughs> we shouldn't have paid him all that money looking back at it. Uh, I think it's one of those quarterback deals that kind of like Joe Flacco when Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl for Baltimore. You pay the quarterback that money because he got you to that position in the first place. And they paid Nick Foles, if you remember. They franchise tagged him, I believe, and they kept him in Philly for an extra year. And then he got 
paid in Jacksonville. And now he's in Chicago and having, you know, same problems he has other places when he's been a starting QB. So it just seems like Philadelphia, I don't know what to think of this game. Cleveland, Philadelphia, I mean, Baker might throw all over Philadelphia's defense because neither team looks really good. I mean, Cleveland might make the playoffs. What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's another one of those weird games that we're talking about saying, yeah, this game actually has playoff implications. This is a big game. Um, th- it's weird to talk about the fact that the Browns are actually a pretty solidified playoff team I- at this point in the season is that they really are a playoff contender. If, if the weather is, and I haven't looked at the weather report, if the weather's anything like it's been the last couple of weeks in Cleveland, you better get ready for one windy affair. I don't know if you saw the clip a couple of weeks ago of the field goal, basically taking an L from one side to the other, but man, the wind in Cleveland affects it. But I think the biggest thing you're going to watch for here, in my opinion, may not even be the quarterbacks. I think it's Cleveland's run game. Cleveland's run game has been unstoppable. Um, other than maybe the Pittsburgh game with Nick Chubb back now and, and Kareem Hunt and him sharing carries, it really opens it up. And I think that's something that really benefits Baker. Uh, I think when you can take some of the weight off his shoulders, you can put it in the hands of those running backs and they can go for a hundred yards each game. It's really only going to make them better. They don't need as, as many dynamic playmakers. And, and certainly if they had Odell Beckham still uh, not out to injury, it might be better. But I, I think this game favors Cleveland. I think they're going to run it down Philly's throat. Um, but, you know, Philly might be able to stop that. So it, it's going to be a playmaker game, but I'm, I'm still going to take Cleveland in a close one. Let me ask you before we move to the next game, do you think Wentz should be benched for Jalen Hurts? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I think I think that's more of an experience factor, right? I don't think anybody anybody who thought that they brought Jalen Hurts in to just directly impose and replace Carson Wentz, that, that's that's off the table. That's exactly not what happened. They've used Wentz since or uh, excuse me, Hurts in some packages, and that's fine. But he was never intended to be the starter of this football team. And again, anybody that thinks that is crazy. I think you need to stick with Wentz now. Uh, could you maybe see Hertz move into that role next season? It's, it's possible, but unfortunately I think you're going to have to stick with Wentz for the short term. Yeah, I completely agree. We'll see what happens. I also don't really buy the whole Cleveland uh, hype. I guess would be the best way to put it. Cause I understand they're a good football team and they might find themselves in the playoffs, but I don't really trust Baker. I don't know. This is a, this is an argument of, you know, if they make the playoffs, cause everybody likes to do the contender and pretender Cleveland could make the playoffs and, and be a six seed or a seven seed. Cleveland's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. I mean, if, if Cleveland makes it to the playoffs, that's a big victory for a city that's been miserable for a while but I hate to tell you, I don't think they're going anywhere. No. All right. Another NFC East team, Washington football team, Cincinnati. Washington has scored 20 points per game. That's one of the fewest in the NFL this season. Um, Ryan, throwing my hands up again. I, I don't know what to think of Washington. Just like I, I don't know what to think of Philly. We've said it every episode, but what are we actually supposed to think of the NFC East? We're, we're in, this, in this weird ground where we're talking about a team with three wins being the division leader. Washington, who's in contention again for Justin Fields, but also as a game or so, a game and a half out of first place. This, this is insane. 
this this could legitimately be another tie. We could be talking about another tie in the NFL featuring the Bengals. I I, I would never predict a tie. I would never tell you to bet on that. But that that's the kind of game we're looking at here. Cincinnati's coming off a game where they absolutely got dominated by Pittsburgh. And some of that is is the way Pittsburgh's defense comes after Joe Burrow and a good offensive presence. But this is going to be one of those games. I, I'm not sure how much of it I can watch. Now, hopefully Joe Burrow comes out and lights it up and him and Alex Smith can get a little back and forth going. And it's fun to watch. But this is one I may not have on my TV a whole lot on Sunday. Here's a prediction for you. I think Zach Taylor gets fired at the end of the season because they're going to want a head coach who can work with Joe Burrow, give him a better offense, maybe give him a better offensive line to begin with. But I don't think Zach Taylor is going to be there next year. Well, the, the biggest thing you have to do, and you mentioned it, is you have to protect your quarterback. I mean, you saw some of the hits he took. I'm sure you watched the Philly game being an Eagles fan earlier this season. You can't make a guy take that many hits in the NFL. Now, the good news is is, is Burrow has the, the energy to get back up and say, hey, I'm fine. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make the next play. But it, you can't do that. You have to protect him because in, eventually you're going to invest money in this guy. I mean, they've already invested money in him, but you're going to invest millions upon millions of dollars. So you, you have to give him a left tackle. And I think whenever we get to draft time, that's what we'll be talking about. Yeah, I would not be shocked. Tennessee, Baltimore, probably the best game of the one o'clock slate. Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill, 64% completion percentage on the season, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, that's amazing. Derrick Henry, second in the league in rushing, 946 yards, eight touchdowns. But Ravens defense is allowing a league low 18 points per game. Baltimore needs this game coming off a, a huge loss to New England uh, last Sunday. This is two six and three teams that I don't think you would have thought they would be in this situation this late in the season. These were two of the teams that we looked at last year and, and maybe said, oh, you know, Baltimore is, you know, they, they were out quick last year, but Tennessee gave everybody a game and, and were up on the Chiefs in the AFC championship game. So I don't think either of these teams thought they'd find themselves at six and three at this point in the season. Baltimore's defense is going to be the difference. That's, that's where it's going to have to come. Baltimore's defense is, has been a little bit shaky the last couple weeks. Um, not, not so much against Indianapolis, but a little bit more against new England. They're going to come out and be good on Sunday. That that's my prediction is Baltimore's defense is going to come out ready to play. They're going to hit Derrick Henry in the mouth. Uh, now he's still going to run for 75 yards. You can't, you cannot, what's the saying? You, you can't completely stop him. You can only hope to hold him in check. And that's really the best you can hope for, for Derrick Henry. Um, I was talking to uh, my buddy Cameron about this game and, and his uh, family's in-laws are Titans fans. So he has said that this is a must, must win for them because he wouldn't be able to take that. So I'm actually going to take the Ravens in this one. Do you think this is a playoff elimination game? It very well could be. It very well could be. And one of the reasons is, is the game that we talked about. And being that I think the Browns are going to beat the Eagles this week, the Raiders are, are going to find themselves in a playoff spot. I really think that. And this week will be a test. Uh, we'll get, you know, we'll kind of look at that game briefly here too um, when they play the Chiefs. But the, I think the Raiders are going to solidify themselves a playoff spot. So when we're talking about another team that's going to make it, 
two, six and three teams. This is tough. And this is the two teams. I don't think we'd be talking about this, but I think this very well could be a team looking on the outside after this game. You mentioned it, the Raiders, we might as well be a Raiders podcast (laughs) outside of the teams we like, because we love the Raiders to make the playoffs. Our guests, Scott Hansen and Taylor Bissotti, excuse me, uh, loves the Raiders as well. Let's talk about that game because that game Sunday night is kind of like the NFC West matchup for Arizona and Seattle Thursday night football. This game shapes a lot going forward for Kansas City because if Kansas City loses – they're now two games back out of that bye, the first seed against Pittsburgh, right? But then you have Vegas making a stronger push going down the playoff stretch for the division. Now, I don't think they can catch Kansas City, but it will really tell a lot about both teams. Kansas City has scored 23 points or more in 23 consecutive games. That's phenomenal. Josh Jacobs, though, third in the league in rushing, eight touchdowns, 700 yards, Derek Carr, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions, but maybe one of the rookies of the year, Edwards Hilaire, 586 yards. And Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he's pretty good. 25 touchdowns this season. So this game will tell me a lot about both teams going forward as we enter into the phase of really trying to form the playoff race. What's your thoughts? Well, not to be forgotten, the Chiefs' one loss is the Raiders in a very back-and-forth game a couple weeks ago. So think about it like this. Say the Raiders do win this game. Say the Raiders come out and and win this game. I still think you're talking about the Chiefs and Raiders getting in the playoffs. Certainly that bodes well for the Raiders. I think the Chiefs are still going to win out in that division. What kind of confidence does that give the Raiders going into the playoffs, though? Looking at a team like Kansas City, say you know, say it shakes out that Pittsburgh's the one seed, Kansas City still solidifies the two, uh, and the Raiders are at like a five or six seed. What kind of confidence does that give Las Vegas looking at it saying, hey, we beat what could potentially still be the best team in the NFL twice. We can do this. We can make a run and, and, and continue on in this playoffs and potentially be contenders. I think this game, you're right, it does shape a lot. The Chiefs are hungry, though, and, and – it's weird to say that about a team that's eight and one, but whenever you lose a game against a division opponent, the way that they did, and that's the one mark on your record, you want the next one back, but you also can't afford to lose that one because then the Raiders are only one game away and they have the tiebreaker on you. So I think both, I mean, this, this is a must win game for whichever team does win it. Um, I think the chiefs are going to come out ready to play and they're going to win this game. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to take over this game and win it. But if the Raiders do come out and, and beat the Chiefs twice, I think we're talking about a Raiders team that could potentially make the AFC championship game. For me, it also signals if Vegas was to even lose this game, let's say 21-20 or something to that effect, it would feel a lot to me anyway, similar to when the Giants lost to the Patriots team that went 16-0 and in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't like moral victories, but that's what it would be. And the Raiders would really build off that, I think, if they were to lose a close game like that going, you know, into the playoff wildcard contention. So I love the Raiders. I think you love the Raiders. But this game 
will really tell us a lot about both teams going forward. This also comes down to a fact, too, that the Raiders, I, I believe the last time I looked at least, have 10 players on their COVID list for close contact, and they're all players on their defense. So that's something that could really shape out in this game, too. If those guys are able to play, of course, that makes a difference, and that certainly helps the Raiders. But if any of those guys are testing positive throughout these next couple of days into the game and aren't able to play, it's certainly going to give Kansas City the edge there. So that's kind of another thing to watch as, as we go through the weekend. Hopefully those guys can play for the sake of competition, but something to something to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean – it's just one of those things, though, it's going to continue to happen where players are going to be put on the virus list and they're going to have players from practice squads moving up. Hopefully those guys can play. And hopefully it was just one of those things where, you know, they talk about false positives. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it was something like that. But we'll see going uh, into the weekend. All right. Last big game of the weekend on the NFL slate, Tampa Bay Rams, Monday Night Football. Woo! Massive one. Massive one. Tampa Bay lost two in a row. Did not look good against the Saints. Everyone agrees with that. Then they come out, really take it to Carolina. But here's a stat for you. Next-gen stats, Tampa Bay has 120 quarterback pressures. That is second most in the NFL. Jared Goff is 37% as a passer under pressure. That is huge for a quarterback like him who really needs to get the ball out quick to his receivers, like Cooper Cup, for example, um, to make plays. And he's been sacked 13 times this year. So what is your thoughts on a huge Monday night matchup? Be on the lookout for a lot of quick routes and a lot of screens or dump offs from Jared Goff, because with a, with a rating that's that low or a percentage that that's low, uh, with pressure, they're going to have to get the ball out of his hands. And honestly, in the NFL, there's there's a lot of coaches that can maneuver that game plan. Uh, and maybe it's not quite the same as it was a couple years ago, but Sean McVay has the brain that can maneuver that game plan. And I think he certainly will. I, I think it's going to be a tightly contested game. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to be able to run the ball like they did last week against Kansas City. Certainly, whenever you're talking about Aaron Donald up front, that's going to change that spectrum a little bit. Um, so the Tampa Bay is going to have to rely on Tom Brady, you know, big deal, six Super Bowls. I don't think he's too worried about having the game will be on his shoulders, but I think you're going to see a little bit different scheme of offense coming from the Rams because of that pressure. Look, I, I think, I think Tampa Bay is going to win it though. I think Tampa Bay is, is on a little bit of a roll now. Um, it's going to be a close game though. I, I don't think LA is going to go down easy, but I think, and, and I've talked about it, you know, sometimes there's the question of experience versus game plan, et cetera. Tom Brady knows how to win, whether you like him or not, whether you, whatever your thoughts are on Tom Brady, that guy knows how to win and he got, he knows how to rally a team. And he did it last week coming off a big embarrassing loss to the saints into the Panthers game. I think he's going to keep this train rolling. I'm going to take the bucks. Here's a prediction for you looking into the crystal ball. I think this could be a playoff matchup that we see down the road. I don't think either one of these teams will make the NFC championship game, but I think this is a possible playoff matchup that we look at on that opening wildcard weekend. We find ourselves watching for the 425 game, these two teams playing. And I think whoever wins this game will find themselves 
probably in the driver's seat though to make the NFC championship game because look, LA's in the toughest division with Arizona and Seattle, but Tampa Bay, we don't know what's going to happen with new Orleans. Now that Drew Brees is out for multiple weeks, look, they could have easily a nice schedule going down to the end of the season to find themselves. I don't know, perhaps maybe even finding the buy either them or green Bay. So and that would be huge for Tom Brady at his age. We'll well, you're, you talked about a crystal ball looking into the playoffs. I think the crystal ball is, is a little bit more clear for what's going to happen in the AFC, at least some of the teams. My crystal ball is foggy or broken when it comes to the NFC. And, and I'm, I'm not even really trying to be funny with that because that, that's what the NFC is, is we're talking about Green Bay being the top team in the, in the conference right now, but they have a pretty – significant loss to Tampa Bay. It wasn't really a close game and Tampa Bay is kind of working themselves back up, but they're behind New Orleans. I mean, there's a lot of caveats here, right? So there's, there's so much to look at in the NFC going down the stretch and a game like this is going to matter a lot to the playoff picture. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned green Bay because we didn't even talk about that game, but they play Indianapolis on Sunday at the 425 slot. That is a big game because Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, excuse me, is the division leader in the AFC South. Of course, Green Bay is right now the number one team in the NFC. But for me, I don't look at uh, Indianapolis yet as a team that's going to win that division, perhaps maybe a wild card. I just don't look at them as that team yet that I sit there and say, ah, I, I think they can make the playoffs because I feel like Tennessee is going to end up winning that division and Indianapolis is going to fall down the stretch, but you never know. I just assume that Aaron Rodgers are out to Philip out dual Philip Rivers in that game. Or Philip Rivers will find himself down one score with uh, two minutes left to go in the fourth and end up, you know, throwing a Hail Mary and, and losing because that I, I can never think of a time that that's happened. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so we can preview uh, Ryan. Uh, we have a little bit of different schedule next week for the people. Uh, we're only going to do one episode um, because uh, it's Thanksgiving week. We're going to drop it on Wednesday, and we're going to do, obviously, the Thanksgiving preview games, all three NFL games. Uh, we're going to do our weekend preview and our weekend recap. So it's going to be a good episode, but we also have a good interview in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a little bit uh, maybe longer of an episode, but, uh, again, we, we don't want to take away uh, – anybody's time on Thanksgiving to take up listening to a podcast, uh, spend times with your family if you're able to based on COVID restrictions and such. But uh, same for us is that's, that's kind of where we want to be. And then we want you to be too. But uh, my last prediction for the weekend is the Steelers will be 10 and 0. Oh, wow. 10 and 0. <laughs> 10 and 0. They're going to knock off the Jaguars. Not, not even uh, considering Jacksonville. That's going to bite me, isn't it? No, I think Jacksonville I think Jacksonville gives them a tough game as far as the running game is concerned because Pittsburgh's been lacking a little bit there the last couple of weeks. Uh, but Pittsburgh seems to have their way with rookie quarterbacks, and I, I think it'll be that way again. So we're gonna, I think we're going to be talking about a 10-0 team going into Thanksgiving next week. Okay, we'll, we'll see what happens because if they somehow lose that game, that's a big matchup next Thursday uh, night on Thanksgiving night between Baltimore and Pittsburgh could really uh, talk about who might end up winning that division in AFC North, but we'll talk about that next week on our Wednesday, special Wednesday episode. 
Ryan, but before we uh, go, why don't you also tell the people what we're going to do uh, on our new TikTok channel? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're not already, be sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, one of the new things that we've done is we've created a TikTok too. Uh, I can't believe I'm running a TikTok. I, it's just absurd, but it's beside the point. Anyway, uh, on TikTok, number one, what we're going to be doing is some quick clips throughout the week for breaking news. Uh, certainly in our podcast, we can't cover literally everything. We don't want to make the episodes way too long. So uh, follow us there to get some quick clips there. Uh, but also via that, if you want to send us clips via TikTok or you can send them uh, to our email, that's in our bios, pretty much every social media site. We're looking for a little bit of an intro to come into our shows to, uh, you know, a 10, 15, 20 second intro. Uh, so if you want to submit a clip for that coming in for the Two Ryan Sports Show, uh, send us something on TikTok, send us something to our email. Uh, you can send it to Ryan or I personally. I know a lot of our listeners, um, some at this junction know us, but send us one of those. And, and the one that we like the best, we're going to put on the show. Yeah, I uh, hope we get some good ones and, you know, it'll, it'll be played for every show. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But all right, that's the end of week number two on Two Ryan Sports Show. We'll see everyone next week. See you guys.